you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel this morning in chapter 7. You see it on the front of your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to go grab one off the sides of the tech booth back there. You can borrow it if you need to borrow it. If you need to take it with you, it is our gift. We will be happy to buy more Bibles, I promise you. Um, also, if you're a user of the uh, Uversion Bible app, we've got our live event scheduled right now, and so you can go to the uh, live event and track along uh, with the scripture text and the sermon notes, um, see some announcements and stuff, so just be aware that that is going on as well. It's been a good weekend, huh? For, for those of you who got to celebrate with us yesterday, um, today we're going to pick up this theme of remembering the blessings, and uh, one of the things that is churning in my heart, listening to stories from yesterday, um, s- stories like, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Heritage Park is a church plant of First Baptist Friendswood, and that's why we're celebrating these 40 years. Uh, s- stories like, um, the, the church gathered together there in Friendswood and saying, um, hey, we're, we're reaching people in the Galveston County area of Friendswood, but we're not reaching people in Harris County. So what do we do about that? I got a great idea. Let's do what historically has been the most effective evangelistic tool of all time. Let's plant a church over there. That's what we're going to do. And they, and they did. I mean, I, I love their heart for the unreached. Uh, that fired me up. It, it fired me up that uh, there was a group of people who said and schemed and prayed and fought and strategized and conjured, I'm not sure what all they did, uh, to come up with about $550,000 worth of modern day dollars to buy this little five point, I don't want to, Blake, I don't want to leave out the point four, 5.4 acres right here. I love, um, I love that they stuck with it. The tenacity. This is one of the stories that was told. Yes, Blake told yesterday. The tenacity of because they started in the early early seventies, and to see them stick with it through the years, knowing that God had a good time for this to happen. He's perfect in all of His ways, and so even when it didn't feel like we were making progress, uh, or they were making progress at the time, they stuck with it. There was a tenacity um, to it. I love the fact that um, they were willing to try new things. Judd, the founding pastor, stood up here and told stories about trying different things. Some of them worked awesome. Some of them crashed and burned. But yes to both of those. Here's to the gutsy risk of trying new things in order to reach people. I love that. The, the theme of the weekend has been 40 years of blessing. And uh, it has made me think about Uh, those blessings that uh, were just described in those stories um, and and many other blessings that God has bestowed not only upon our church, but the church generally. And it got me thinking about there's a purpose in these blessings. There always is. Anytime God blessed a particular individual, Adam and Eve, uh, he blessed them, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted and fill the earth, it says. He wanted um, that blessing, um, kind of looking backward toward the blessing, he wanted them to then move outward. So it is with Abraham. Calls Abraham out of Ur uh, of the Chaldeans and uh, uh, speaks to him and says, hey bud, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a piece of land that you can live in and dwell in. And listen, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he's looking backward, thinking about this blessing, and it urges him outward. Moses, hey pal, you've been through some rough stuff. Good upbringing, t- 
tough midlife. Now I'm going to put you and use you in ministry. I have blessed you in order that you would be a blessing. King David wrote psalms about it. Psalm 67, God bless us and make your face to shine upon us that we may be a blessing to the nations over and over and over and over and over again. Individually, that's been true. Certainly, it's been true of the people of God, of the people of God that whenever God blesses the people of God, He does so so that they will be a blessing. For us, looking backward towards these 40 years then ought to urge us outward, and that's what we need to, need to be about and how we need to, we're, whenever there's a blessing given to us, we're blessed to be a blessing. It moves us outward. Otherwise, let's go do something else. I mean, really, let's just pack it all in and go do something else. God instead has put, put this on us and given us this commission. So this story from 1 Samuel 7, uh, to me, uh, represents that in a lot of ways. So in 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, when Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. Now just pause right there. If you've been around church a while, if you haven't, you may not know the lyric to this song. But if you have been around church a while, here I raise my Ebenezer. That, that, the whole point of that is a, it's a stone, a rock of remembrance. It's a, it's a point, the, the whole point is to be able to say, hey, let's recall the things that God has done in order that it would move us toward the things that God wants us to do. We look backward, and that looking backward urges us outward. He called it Ebenezer, for he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. The Philistines were the bad guys in the story, in case you didn't pick that up. And did not again enter into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken away from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Uh, just a couple of statements out of these verses this morning, three actually, and um, want to just try to spur us on a little bit. As we've looked backwards now, let that urge us outward. Here we go. Number one. Uh, what God has done before, He can do again. Do you believe that? What God has done before, He can do again. Can we be clear about something, everybody, right up here? It's not that He has to do it the same way. It's not that He will do it the same way. But if He has done it before, He can do it again. So, what, what had He done before? That's that Samuel's confession. Till now, the Lord has helped us, and that propelled them into the last, the last couple of verses that we read. What had God done? Back up to verse nine. Let, let, let's pause. Let, let's pick up just a verse of context. Verse eight. Um, and the people of Israel said to Samuel, "Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines." So Samuel, verse nine, took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord, what does it say there, people? The Lord answered. That's right. What God has done before, He can do again. First thing that He did was He answers prayers. He hears our prayers and He answers them. That is true of God then and it is true of God today and it will be true of God now. If that looking backward pushes us outward, part of the way that we will walk forward is a prayer-filled, knees-bent kind of people. He hears our prayers. 
And he answers them. If God's done it before, he'll do it again. And you can think about, just, I'm just looking at sections, and I can name answered prayers, specifically, specific answered prayers that we have prayed for people in every section. And what can we say? God has done it before, and he can do it again. He can do it again. Some of you have uh, prayed prayers for salvation. Some of you have prayed prayers for healing. Some of you have prayed prayers for provision in ways. And over and over and over and over and over again, we've seen, we've seen God do it. There's, there are groups that meet to pray. There's a group that meets on Sunday morning to pray with me as we pray for Sunday. There's a group that meets on Wednesday night at 545 to pray for the church and all of the needs. You want to get in on some of that? Man, come join. That would be terrific. Here's the thing. He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. We're blessed to be a blessing, and he can do what he's done before. He will when, when we take time, spend time, make time to pray. He hears our prayers. Verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. So here we go. Uh, Israel's gathered together. Philistines, here they come. Bad guys on the march here. Going to make that happen. And they call out to the Lord, and he answers them. And what happens? As the Philistines are getting ready to attack, there was a huge thunder. I'm not sure how that happened. I'm not sure what that looked like, sounded like, or whatever, but it threw them into confusion. Here's the great thing about that. Not only does God hear prayers, he also works miracles. Do you believe that? Yes, let's believe that. Let's believe that God is a big enough God to do what he's done before he can do today. Let's believe that there's a God who was powerful then and is powerful today. Let's believe a God, let's believe God for working miracles then and working miracles today. And again, I'm just looking at sections here, and and I'm thinking about the stories of how God has moved, how He has worked, how He has done the things that we have asked Him to do, that we, if we were to write letters to our kids or our grandkids or our great-grandkids or write letters to the 100th anniversary of Heritage Park, we would say, what we know is that God hears our prayers and that He works miracles. What he's done before, he can do again. Lastly, verse 11. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. He hears prayers, he works miracles, he uses us. He uses people just like you and me. He uses us. The Philistines, there was the thunder, right? Happened. And then they marched out, excuse me, the the people of Israel marched out upon the Philistines and God used them to bring full and utter defeat. A couple of notes here as I look at these three things, he hears prayers, works miracles, and uses us. You know, have you noticed that those three things often go together? When we pray, he works miracles. Oftentimes those miracles that happen, those things that happen that we cannot actually explain, we get somehow to be a part of. This is, this is our kind of God. He, those three things work together. So when we trust that God is the same God as He was yesterday, as He is today, as He will be tomorrow, as we believe that He is uh, the God who, if He's done it before, He can do it again. Prayer, trusting God for big things, and a willingness to be used. Seems like a pretty good plan moving forward, doesn't it? <laughs> um. 
somebody in the earlier service was telling the story. They got flooded out of their home, and there's a trailer on their driveway now, and they get to live there, kind of be on property. And um, Laundry had come back, and they had just made bacon and eggs in a travel trailer. Now, bacon and eggs at my house smells up my entire house, right? Anybody with me on that? Like you walk into your closet, and still you're like, mmm, bacon. Forget Old Spice, forget Axe, all that. No, 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 no. Bacon, that's what we want right there. So you can imagine in a much smaller environment, that kind of thing, right? It's like you, the mom of that group said, do you think our clothes will smell like bacon? The dad says, oh, Lord, let it be. Let it be. Wherever you go, may the aroma of bacon just, just go with you, right? Wherever you go, may that aroma go with you. Some of you know we had a group from Hannibal LaGrange University here last week. They traveled, they worked all weekend, traveled back Monday. On the way back, this is the text that I got, I'm reading it, okay? Just wanted you to know, everywhere we mentioned Heritage Park Baptist Church in the community, there was a good aroma to that name. He uses us. It's not, folks, because we're so awesome. He just uses us. He hears our prayers, and He works miracles, and He uses us. Some people say, hey, listen, <laughs> it's good to have college kids in from Missouri because He can use them. Like, that's good. Like, I don't qualify for usage. That's not me. In line of the things that have been in my life, the things that have happened, the things that I've chosen, the things that have been chosen for me, the baggage I'm toting around, somebody else would be really, really usable. Good news, folks. God uses broken people. And you think to yourself in this story right here, yeah, but I mean, you're talking about Samuel the prophet. He's got two books in the Bible named after him. You know the last person to defeat the Philistines? I mean, the, the, like if you're reading here in 1 Samuel 7, you, the, the person to defeat the Philistines prior to, to Samuel, you know who it was? You have to turn left, I don't know, about 10 pages or so, 12 pages. You know who it was? Samson. A fine man of upstanding character and great choices. And God uses broken people, church. You know why? Because there's no other kind of people useful to him. The ones who pretend they have it all together, they're not particularly useful because they're interested in making sure that they're the ones who get the credit. God uses broken people because they are not only, first of all, that's all the kind of people that there are. Let's put that on record. And secondly, those are the people who are most useful because God is the one who, who gets the credit and the glory for that. He's the one who uses us to leave a good aroma. Secondly, not only what God has done before, he can do again. God can tell a bigger story. When, when Samuel says, and he holds up this Ebenezer and he says, till now the Lord has helped us. When he's talking about till now, what he's saying is, hey, we're part of something bigger here. The reason I'm setting up this Ebenezer stone here is because when we're part of something bigger, God can tell a bigger story. So backing back, we don't, won't read it all, but in chapter four, the Ark of the Covenant of God goes out into battle and the Philistines, the bad guys, capture the 
ark. This is the ark that contained the Ten Commandments that Moses had written down. It contained Aaron's staff. Like there were some important things in there. And more than that, more than just the relic side of things, it symbolized the presence of God. Chapter 4, it goes off into the hands of the enemy. Chapter 5, because God doesn't tolerate evil forever. Chapter 5, they put it, the Philistines are so smart, they, they, they put the Ark of the Covenant of God into the temple of Dagon, their God. And the next morning, they go in to crack the doors open and start their, their rituals. Dagon, the, the statue of Dagon, has fallen down before the Ark of God. And the priests are all like, I didn't feel the earthquake. Did you feel the earthquake? Man, I mean, I've had, I slept pretty well last night, but I didn't, you know, I thought I would feel the earthquake. Dagon goes down. So the best part of this story for me is they then get their people together and they, they raise their God back up. If you have to raise your God back up, that's a bad God, folks. We follow a God who raises us up. We're not raising him anywhere. Next morning, they, oh, they got it all squared away now. Sandbags at the bottom. I don't know what they did to make sure it was okay. Next morning, he falls down again in front, and his hands and his head have been cut off. And so uh, they're like, huh, maybe this is something we need to kind of pick up on. So indeed, they send the ark of God off, and in chapter 6, it finally comes back um, into the hands uh, of Israel, and they rejoice so Samuel then says the presence of God kind of symbolically has returned to his people. He, till now, the Lord has helped us. Till now, the Lord has helped us. He's telling a much bigger story. This, this Ebenezer is part of a larger plot. Um, and so when I think about 40 years and I think about us today, I just want to say God's telling a bigger story. He's telling a bigger story. It's, it's bigger than any particular place. God has done great things in this literal locale, this place right here. He's done great things. People talk about, well, my kid came to know Jesus here and got baptized here, or I came to know Jesus here and I got baptized. I met my, my person here and we, like all of those, God has done some incredible things here. But it's the story that God is telling is big, bigger than this address right here. For us as a church family, we're involved at Wedgwood Elementary. We're involved in Bolivia with orphans. We're involved in Northeast England with lost kids and, and trying to help churches up there. That's awesome. I mean, all of that. But even stuff that you and I don't necessarily know about, God is telling a bigger story than that. He leverages our availability and our resources to make differences in ways that nobody could ever predict. Or I'll quit talking. This is so fun. This is one of my favorite parts right here. Just Mike, can we start this? Just scroll these pictures carefully. You're a part of this story right here. This is in Ghana, West Africa. A basketball camp put on by an organization called Hoops for Hope International. They take small teams of people who know somewhat about basketball into environments where they get to share the gospel just like that with kids and others um, and, and make a difference through basketball. This particular one, uh, like, like I said, is in Ghana, West Africa. It's a particular camp. Kumasi. Run by a pastor there. Uses basketball as outreach. Guy was seminary trained in the United States and got a heart for his people 
and went back to Ghana, West Africa. You're a part of this story. Hey, Mike, do you mind flipping back? It's the third picture. You're a part of this story. You know how you're a part of this story? Any guesses? Philip? Nope, not money. Basketball? Who said it? Travis Watson for the win. For those of you who don't know, uh, when I came here 10, almost 11 years ago now, uh, this worship center was also a gym. And brides would get married and walk right down the center court. We'd blow the horn, you know, the whole thing. It was awesome. (laughs) So good. There were two basketball goals hanging right back there. That's one of them. Right there. You see it? Look at it. It's right there. That guy is shooting on Heritage Park Baptist Church glass right there. In Ghana, West Africa. Because God is telling a bigger story. We had them. Somebody needed them. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to put them in a shipping crate and send them to Ghana so basketball camps can go on. That sounds like a win. Let's make that happen. Here are some pictures of your goals. (laughs) It's the coolest thing. God's telling a bigger story, and it's bigger, bigger than any particular place. It's also bigger than any particular person. We tend, let me just say it this way, let me say it positively. You and I get to be a part of a movement. You and I get to be a part of something. You and I are written into the story where none of us are the hero. Church is not about the pastor. It's certainly not about Trent. It's not about Frank or Kyle or Carrie or anything. Church is about somebody, but it's none of us. Who's it about? It's about Jesus. He's the king. We're just shepherds, under shepherds even at that. The story that God is telling is bigger than any particular person because there is a name that is above every name. And his name is Jesus. I say that because the connections that God makes, the ways that he works, the things that he does, they consistently prove just how small and insignificant we are in order to show how awesome he is. So, how many of you have noticed the big black trailer out here in the parking lot? Anybody with me on this? Yeah, Lord willing, we're going to pack that sucker with sheetrock in the next three weekends and start hauling it around. If you've got a big truck that's available, by the way, haul that sucker, we want it. Come, come, you can be our delivery boy, girl, whatever. Just show up. We'll let you drive if you're 16. Okay, so let's be clear about that. I want to drive. Don't, don't do that. That trailer was destined for Honolulu because they were going to use it to plant a church with a kind of coffee theme thing. They were going to use that to plant a church with some of the island work. They found another trailer already on the island. That one was sitting uh, in, in Longview, Texas, and a church was connected to a church out in Honolulu, heard that we were doing disaster relief and said, hey, might you need a trailer? And we're like, a a covered trailer to haul sheetrock in phase two? Does that sound like a good plan? 
Yes, that sounds like a good plan. So we said, yes, we'll take your trailer, and thank you so much. The, the pastor of the church, just follow, I know this a lot. The pastor of the church in Honolulu, I know that guy. He calls me and he says, hey, we heard you're getting the trailer that was found for us. We're pretty fired up about this. I'm like, this is weird, but yes, we're, we're for this. We're excited about this. This is going to be awesome. Cannot wait for this stuff to come about. So sure enough, we got the trailer and stuff. Here's the question. How do I know the pastor of Olivet Baptist Church in Honolulu, Hawaii? His name is Jamie. He and his wife, Lizzie, were missionaries in North Africa, where we as a church, for the first two or three years of my ministry here, we partnered with them. So we got a trailer from Honolulu via North Africa into Webster TX. I just, that's how that goes. How is this possible? Because God is telling a bigger story. And it's bigger than any person. And, and finally, on that note, he's telling a bigger story. And it's, it's bigger than any history. I talked to Judd, the founding pastor of the church, yesterday, before and after, for a while. One of the things that he said, he said three or four things that really stuck with me, but one of the things that he said was, when we planted the church in 1977, this area back here is 99% young families and white. That, I mean, that's, we've seen the neighborhood transition, we've been here long enough to see the neighborhood not only transition once, but now Twice. Um, and one of the things that I think that God is telling in our particular story is a heart to reach the neighborhood and a heart to, to see the neighborhood changed by the gospel of Jesus. In order for that to happen, you know, it's going to take more than just white. One of the ways that I think God is prepping us for that and using us, and it's, it's, it's a glorious, powerful work is that we're helping, we're not redefining family. We're just helping people understand the experience of family. In particular through this, this kind of stuff that's in our DNA regarding foster care and adoption. It, it's the things that God has worked in that particular area in our, in our church family is bigger than any history that we could have written. We have multiple, I'm just going to stop there, multiple families who are connected to this cause of, uh, um, of foster care and adoption. In a couple of weeks, we'll have Orphan Sunday, where we raise that flag and rally the troops to say, this is important. Hey, listen, God's not doing that through us because we're so awesome. He's doing it because that's what a transformed people do. So James 1.27 says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, that you keep yourself unstained from the world, yes, that's important, and that you look after, see to, take care of widows and orphans. That's what transformed people do. And God has written that into our story, and I can't wait to see how he leverages that to reach this area bigger than any history. Last statement, that, that God expects 
expectancy, faith, if you will. God expects expectancy. When he says, till now the Lord has helped us, you get the idea that he's going, and I believe that God is going to help us in the future. I think he's right. I think that's exactly right. It's good to look backward because that urges us outward. It's good to say, hey, till now the Lord has helped us because we believe that God's going to help us in the future. Here are some things that this, this expectancy, this sort of faith, this is what pleases God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is one of the things that allows us to live a life that's pleasing to God. How would that look like? What would that look like? How would that shake out? Well, number one, we can expect God, we can have faith that God will be exactly who he says he is. We can expect that God will be who he says he is. He is a sovereign God who is in control, thankfully, of the entire world because the world is a mess. And if somebody wasn't in control, we'd all be in trouble. We close every service and it is not, it is not a little ditty that we do. Like it is foundational for who we are. It is right at the core of our confession that Jesus reigns over everything. Everything. He reigns over everything. Not because we voted him in, but because he reigns. He's the king of the universe. He's a redeemer. He can take really horrible situations, really bad things, and he can make those things and those situations work out for good. Not the least of which is our very own lives. He's a redeemer. He is a merciful God. He welcomes the the weakest and the vilest and the poor like we just said a moment ago. He is a merciful God, and that allows us then to have compassion on those who are around us. We can expect Him to be who He says He is. Secondly, we can expect Him to do what He promises to do. Every word that He has given us, a promise in His word, He either has fulfilled or He is in the process of fulfilling He is not going to fail. He is not going to falter. He is not going to fumble any sort of promise that he has laid before us ever. How do do you know that? He's a faithful God, number one. And secondly, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 1 verse 20, that Jesus is the guarantee for us, for all the promises of God. Because in him, they are yes, and they are amen. We can expect God to do what he promises to do. And lastly, Um, we can expect uh, God to use us as we make ourselves available. We've talked about this before. I'll say it one more time. It's not that we have to be sufficient to the task. God doesn't require our sufficiency. He only asks for our availability. He expects, we can expect God to use us as we make ourselves available. So the question then is what? Will we be available? That's the question. So just some thoughts here as we... um, promise I'm wrapping up, but I need to sit down so you and I can talk. Some thoughts here as we move forward. These are big questions. Big question number one. Pressing need around us. Number one, can we finish phase two? Like, are we going to be able to walk through it and say yes to all of this? 1,500 pieces of sheetrock out in the garage, rolls and rolls of insulation ready to go. 28 or more, I'm looking just to see north of that, 28 or more houses kind of ready to, who need help. So the question is what? Will you be available? 
Kyle mentioned a while ago, we're working the next three weekends. I can't give all three. Great, give us two out of the three. Give us what you can. Let's, let's go to work for the sake of rebuilding people's homes, excuse me, houses, in order to hopefully re- help them rebuild their lives in Jesus. Let's, let's go to work for that reason. Let's put ourselves as missionaries out to these neighborhoods and into these houses. Let's go, let's go do that. God has blessed us, therefore we get to be a blessing. Let's go, but I don't know how to do sheetrock. Good, I'm glad you said that. We're putting together a very short five, ten minute clinic on here. Here's how not to kill yourself doing sheetrock. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. We'll roll that out Saturday if you show up ready to work. Some of you ladies are like, I can't be useful for that. Hey, listen, there will be stuff to do. Make yourself available. Just make yourself available. Can we complete phase two? We're going to work. We're going to hit it. There'll be people coming in from outside. Like, let's, let's get after it. Second question. Can we reach our neighborhood? Again, it's not turned over once. It's turned over twice now. But this isn't my neighborhood. Let's be clear. One more time. It's not my neighborhood either. I live about four miles south of here. But just because it's not my neighborhood doesn't mean it's not our neighborhood. It's our neighborhood. Can we be used by God to reach it? Lastly, can we plant churches? Will you be available to work with phase two? Will you be available to reach the neighborhood? Will you be available to plant churches? There's been a little bit of hubbub around here. And if, if you've caught this from me, let me just say, I wasn't mad. Let me just say, people have talked about, yeah, we want to plant a church. You're absolutely wrong. That's not true. We want to plant churches. That's what we want to do. We want to plant churches. Now, we need to start with one. Let's start there. But we want to plant churches. Not a church, churches. So what's your plan? Uh, follow Jesus. That's number one. Number two, we think we need 75 to 100 more people in kind of average attendance in order to plant from strength. We hope to take um, a, a solid, solid group of people and, and move toward wherever God leads us. Right now, if you're guessing, if I'm guessing, we move south, maybe south of Dickinson somewhere. This quadrant of, of Houston is exploding that way. So maybe we, maybe we move that direction. Just see. I don't know. I don't know. But we think we need 75 to 100 more people than we have right now to plant from strength. So you know what that means? You get to participate in the culture of invitation and telling your story and sharing the gospel with people to see their lives transformed. You get to invite. You get to encourage. You get to be a part of this. Somebody asked me this week, what if God led you to plant a... a, a um, ethno-linguistic church, a church different from you in ethnicity and language, then I would say to that, good on God. He's in charge. We're not. Like, we just follow. We'll just do whatever he says, but we'll just, let's, let's get after it. Let's get after it. The question is not, will God lead us? The question is not even, does God want to use us? The question is, will we be available? So we're going to pause for just a minute and just let you have a second of silence. And here's what I want you to do in this moment of silence is just simply to say this, God, where do I need to be available? Just ask that question. For some it's service, for some it's giving, for some it's 
participation in some other realm? Where do I need to be available? Some, it's talking to your neighbor. Where do I need to be available? Let you sit with that. Ask the Holy Spirit to make that clear. Holy Spirit, as you draw that portrait in our mind, as you do that for us, help us to respond with courage. Because for some of us, it won't be easy. It will be outside of our comfort zone. That's good. You're at work outside of our comfort zone. So help us to join you there. We want to walk with you. Rejoice as we see you do the things that you have done, the things that you will do. Thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You hear prayers, work miracles, and you use broken people to make a difference. Do that with us. We want to make ourselves available, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said...